is Rira Menor, the show which brings you a female perspective. <laughs> and we are your hosts, Sinead C. Shanti and Susan Andrahid Brown. Uh, I'm over the roar, Sinead. I know, that's yeah. okay, Susan. It's all right to change it up. It's true, it's good, it's good. The bridge. So, the bridge. The bridge. Andrahid. <laughs> Very timely change of name, Suze, because today's show, it's all about women on the water and, and in, in the, the water. water. We will hear from the phenomenal cold water swimmer, Nula Moore. Welcome, Nula. And we'll <laughs> also hear from the groundbreaking, awe-inspiring, big wave surfer and social scientist, Eastie Britain. Very exciting. She I needs. know, they're both my yeah, heroes, as you know. So, we're also women of the water, Caesar. We are. When were you swimming last tonight? Just yesterday. Very good. Where is that? Uh, House Strand, actually. Lovely. It was Perfect. fresh and wavy. Ah, fresh. There was a cold breeze there yesterday. Thank God I had my two, I had two swim crutches yesterday. A shout out to Julie and Katie. I needed them yesterday. Oh, well done, ladies. Yeah. And how about you? You were on the water yesterday. Uh, yeah, I actually got stuck. Uh, one Kirk uh, got caught on one side of Clontarf Bridge and I was on the other side of Clontarf Bridge because I lost power on my left oar. So it took me about five minutes to get out of it. It was kind of hairy for about a minute. I was like, oh, oh. But uh, I pulled out of it. You it sorted it out. It was good. Yeah, it was good to learn. You always learn from these things. Big time. More. Big time. Yeah, Big absolutely. time. Now, let's go. At first, we're having Nuala Moore on. So, Nuala Moore is an o- Irish open water swimmer, uh, most known for her extreme ice swims. Over the last decade, she's focused on world first in some of the most dangerous and remote icy water. Yay, welcome, Nila. Yes, take us to your world, Nila. We are delighted to be joined by Nula Moore. Moore. Welcome, Nula. Thank you so Hi, much for joining us on Reraw Manor. Hi, and thank you so, so much for having me and inviting me onto this wonderful podcast to share all things. <laughs> so I am such a fan. I read your book and you really inspired me. I had so many of your phrases in my mind all over Christmas. <laughs> One of my favorites is, is it one arm over the other? Just One arm. Arm over arm. Arm Arm over over arm. arm. So for our listeners, let's fill them in. What is this arm over arm? Tell us, Nula, who are you and what is the world that you occupy? Um, So arm over arm to me is exactly just putting me in the moment. Um, So I suppose straight away, my name is Nula Moore, which I've been introduced. And I live down in the beautiful town of Dingle in the southwest of Ireland. Um, I grew up in and on the sea and for me swimming has been a way of life it isn't you know a lot of people say we go to swim for me swimming was a place to be um, as a child it was a runaway location you know get away from the chores if you were at home you got jobs so the quicker you could get out the gap and over the gate you were gone and I think we're very lucky um, living in Dingle I was very lucky to grow up in an environment that there were always people on the beach who would mind you and you know being left on the beach all day you could arrive with maybe one or two and go home with completely different people but it didn't matter that we were trusted and having that sense of being able to be free as a child we were always developing ways of staying out so therefore you're developing survival skills and as a child living and working and or sorry living and swimming on the beaches near dingle 
um, we would swim from beach to beach or, or being out around where the dolphin was, you were constantly evaluating risk. And I was very lucky growing up that the sea became a way of life as opposed to just somewhere to go swimming. I love it. So that's your origin story, Nula, of how you turned into this fantastic, phenomenal sea swimmer. So not only are you swimming around Dingle, you've taken on some of the most epic swims in the world. Can you give us a snapshot of your swim CV? Um, this is where your time goes um yeah look at i suppose in a way we we all grow up having these amazing swims where you're swimming around coasts of ireland um you know we could swim in in ventry or in cork or sandy cove or, or dublin or wherever but in 2006 i was part of a team we were invited on and we swam around the coast of ireland 56 days Wow. Um, starting in Donegal, going clockwise, back-to-back -back immersions. And we could talk about that one, but that was fairly phenomenal. And then from there, you develop skills. You develop, I suppose, an ability to understand who you were, where things get tough. And that's where the arm over arm came in. From there, I came home, had these colossal challenges, because when you go back-to-back -back immersions over that amount of time, you get into this state of like, where are you going to find the challenge? Because you break. Um, and we can discuss a few things like this as we move through, but I'll just bring you through the next stage. I went into trying to find a challenge that would feed me. Um, when I came home after swimming around Ireland, I really lacked the ability to, to find the balance between, I suppose, what we achieved and how we found value. Uh, swimming for 56 days back to back and then giving everything up people forget about that so I went on and I joined a team and we swam from England to France and back to England a double crossing relay 2008 it didn't stimulate me in any way I just thought right get into the water swim get out get in get out I become quite clinical so that didn't feed me um, then I hosted a lot of events did a lot of triathlon events Went back then, 2011, and did a 26 kilometer solo swim across Lake Zurich, 12 hour swim. Again, beautiful day out. And I was asked by, um, I was invited by Andy Farrell to speak to the Irish rugby team before they went to France, before they went to the World Cup. And um, it was really weird. Uh, one of the questions was like, what do you think about when you're swimming for 12 hours and how do you stay in the water? And I just thought, well, don't make plans for the afternoon. I don't see anything more complicated than that. So for me, I had broken myself down into these little pieces that I was unable to put things back together again. Um, I no longer found value in distance. So for some specific reason, the ice excited me. So in 2011, um, Anne-Marie Ward and I invited Ram Barkai to Ireland. And we did the very first ice mile in Donegal in, two, in Christmas 2011, but the temperature was 5.6, so it wasn't classified. So from 2011 onwards, I started to delve into ice swimming. In 2012, I was invited to Siberia to swim in zero degrees, minus 33. That was a huge pushback of a challenge. Um, because my previous big swim was 26 kilometers, I really was insulted at being pushed backwards. 
um, I kind of felt like, why can't I swim? What's stopping me? What's pushing me back? And that's what Let's, excited me. Sorry, I'm just going to hop in there. Let's remind our listeners, it's minus 30 degrees. Air. In the yeah. air. And, and zero degree ice with chainsaws. Vroom, vroom. But it was the fact that I was starting to see things in me that I was, it was exciting. I found it exciting that I couldn't do things. So it was never about finishing or, or being, you know, being successful. It was about what I could achieve from the event. So I came home and I worked really hard to be able to swim 1800 meters at three degrees. Mm -hmm. Did that in January, 2013 and then in March 2013, I became the first Irish swimmer to swim a thousand meters at zero, um, 23 minutes at zero. From there Amazing. then was invited on to the Bering Strait Relay where we swam from Russia to America over six days in huge mountainous seas. And if you gave me the competition or gave me the high seas, I had this gravitational pull to this huge risk. Yeah, and from there then the next few years were crazy and then Finally, 2018 ended up being the first woman in the world, or the first swimmer in the world to go south of Cape Horn um, into the Drake Passage and swim from the Pacific to the Atlantic. So, yeah, there's a lot of adventure in there, but in there became the stories. Wow, Nula. I am in awe of you grabbing adventure and really going for it. When I was reading the parts of your book set in the Bering Strait, I was nearly reading with my eyes closed. It was... I was so frightened for you guys with those mountainous yeah. oceans that you were hopping into, even in the night. Yeah. So it's like that wind chill was really cold. And, you know, all those conditions and all the different languages being spoken on board. And like you were saying, you guys were getting in and doing the arm over arm. Yeah. And another great line that I also took from your book was... Plan your swim, swim your plan. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you can apply that to anything in life. Well, you can, because I think with the swimming, you know, one of the things that I always say, and you have quite a few of them there, is that if you can't breathe, you can't swim. And those mantras are very important to me. The arm over arm means that, like, I have, you know, fear is an emotion. We can bring it in or we can let it go. And for me, if you bring it in, it interferes with your breathing. You know, it changes your plan. It, it takes everything into a chaotic circumstance. And what I loved most about the ice is the extremes keep you honest. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's an interesting statement because when we talk about the seas and the Bering Strait, it's not about the swim. It's about having the courage to let go, having the courage to trust your team, having the courage to trust yourself. And it's not about the actual rotating the arms because they will rotate. It's been able to just engage in this exact moment and to be the best thing you can be to stay alive for those around you. And there was something in that that excited me because that was a person that I had seen many times during swimming around Ireland. There were moments where we were separated from vessels or the risk became great. And for me, they seeing who I was at that moment for me was the person that I loved the most. It wasn't the person who crossed the finish line. It wasn't the person went, yay. It was the person I was when everything was pear shaped. 
Um, so I think a lot of times I went into those extreme environments because like, it's like Kung Fu Panda, you know, there is no charge for awesomeness. You know, you just go, why And, <laughs> and I love that, you know, and, and my father years ago would like, would often say, are you hero or zero? Will you slam the door? Will you put the kettle on? And I think life gives us circumstances where we have a choice. Do we slam the door or do we put the kettle on? And I'm a girl who puts the kettle on. You know, we just get on with it. But I love, I do seek battles. I I really go and I find environments that I, I'm forced to thrive. So yeah, arm over arm and plan your swim. By planning your swim and swimming your plan. And if you look at swim, swimmers now, one of the things that I always talk about are, you know, by understanding the swim plan. Okay, we're going to go in for eight minutes or nine minutes. Understanding the group. Is there somebody who's had a bad day? Is there somebody who's had a bad night? Is there somebody who may be not be able to keep up with the group? You know, by understanding the plan, then the swim is, is, is a much better outcome. So it's really important that people understand their roles. In my environment, it's more extreme, but my extremes could actually be somebody else's extremes in a very small environment. So yeah. we have to look at things in in a holistic approach and that's life as well by understanding the plan we can control our breathing so that when things come at us we have a mechanism to be able to respond yeah there's so many things i'd love to pick up on there nula number one again reading your book you'd come home from these epic swims and you would just do that you'd put the kettle on and you'd make your dad's cuppa and yeah. the cake I can't remember what you called cake in your book. Tabnab. <laughs> it's tabnabs. Tabnabs. Yeah, that's right. Tab yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, do you know what I did? I finished every chapter as such with that and my sister picking me up at the airport because I think we, we often forget the reality of our dreams. Um, and for me, being exposed to the cost of our dreams was, was, was something that I found difficult initially. Um, coming home was something I struggled with. At the very beginning, I would have all these amazing events, but coming home and that drop mm -hmm. into reality, sometimes, like we don't all have, I suppose, infinite resources. For me, every event that I paid for had a cost and that cost wasn't always financial. It could be brownie points. It was somebody looking after my dad or somebody looking after my dogs or, or somebody looking after my business. And that to me is the cost of your dreams. So mm. everything has to actually balance. Mm. And for me, turning the key in the door was very significant because that was the balance, that was the value. And everything had to reach that value for everything to balance. So putting the kettle on and just breathing for me was always the most important way of, I suppose, giving the audience or, or everybody or even my sense, a sense of we're just normal people who have to come home and have to turn the key in the door and have to reconcile those dreams, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brought a lovely quality to your book as well. It brought that human humility yeah. aspect yeah. that was really touching. Yeah. And as well, in terms of breathing, yeah. so you speak about breathing a lot and the importance of breathing. Do you have any techniques to share with our listeners? How do you work on breathing? How do you become Kung Fu Panda of your yeah. breath? Well, I came out of the womb Kung Fu Panda. 
<laughs> really, yeah, I came out of the womb a fighter. Um, you know, I suppose in a way, you know, one of the main reasons I wrote the book was, I suppose I'm very proud of me. I'm incredibly, anyone who knows me knows that I am my biggest fan. Um, and not in a, in a way that I need anybody else to know it, but it's in a way that I can look in the mirror and be so, so proud of who I am and what I've achieved. And there are times where I don't reckon, reconcile that image, um, just like today. <laughs> no, but there are times when I'm sure all of us have the same experience when you look in the mirror and you don't really understand is that the person who's just achieved everything. Mm -hmm. And we do have those, I suppose, sense of fragility in our own lives. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that fascinated me is that um, when I when I had the opportunity, I was obviously thankfully commissioned to write the book. Um, initially, the, the storyline was going in one way. But for me, one of my greatest challenges in my life in 2016, 17 and 18 was that I was slipping into my own grave in that I was drifting backwards and I was unable to reconcile this sense of where is my history? Like, like what happens in five years time? Will anybody remember? Because, because everything has been repeated and these podcasts are great for that reason. Cause in my opinion, um, you know, people lose the ability to tell a story. And if you look at how, when we were young, um, you know, my father, my grandfather, we all told stories and those stories grew legs and arms and wings. And by the time you heard the story for the 10th time, you think, where the hell did that story come from? Mm -hmm. But the next generation down, I wonder, do they have the ability to tell a story? Because the stories are different. So mm -hmm. I felt that I would love my nieces and nephews in 20 years time to maybe look at me and think, God, she was strong. She was powerful, she was great. And I don't know if the next generation down can identify that the same way I can. And I'm obviously, obviously they may or may not, but I know that I can close my eyes and know what strength looked like in my parents and grandparents. Mm. And my, you know, my aunts and uncles and my sisters. And I mean, I was so blessed to be surrounded by very, very strong women all my life um, mm. and strong men. So I, I love that sense of strength and it's not physical. It's the mind, it's the power, it's the belief, it's the trust, it's the willing to fail. It's the willing to put it back together again. Um, and it comes back. It's the willing to breathe. If you can't mm. breathe, you can't swim. Mm. So when I would put my face in the water, there were times where I could hear. And if you can hear your breathing, you're not balanced. It's like walking when you can hear the exertion. If you can hear yourself thinking, you're not, you're not being. So yeah. I would often go into the water and just swim until I could hear my bubbles. When you can hear the bubbles, you have a sense of balance. So I would go into deep water, just water deeper than myself and just sit in a vertical position and breathe until I was balanced. So it wasn't for the sense of breathing or meditation, but it was just the sense of understanding that the effort was not more than the presence. Um, so when I heard the, <gasps> that to me was, it was too much. So I would always go for balance. Yeah. 
I love that image, Nula. Tell me there's an artist listening right now that's going to paint that image of you sitting in your zen, listening to the bubbles. That's really lovely. You touched on the grey. And you mentioned it in your book that when you start to feel the grey, you do something about it. Can you tell us what colour are you in now? And where's your focus at now? I would be bright red. Um, <laughs> no, but I just feel we don't. Sometimes, you know, I look, I always have this thing, you have to be free to succeed. I'm like a mantra queen. Um, and you know that freedom to succeed means that all the rest of the clutter isn't stepping in your way. Um, you know, and, and it's face your reflection. And I, I remember one time when we were swimming around Ireland, um, and it's it's this is something that bothers me. When a man looks rugged, he's expeditionary. When a woman looks rugged, she's psychiatric. Yeah. I mean I hear you. photographs <laughs> of us. I mean, the hair is matted. And we were we actually had landed in, I think it was Castletown Bear. No, it wasn't. It was probably it was in Kinsale, because Kinsale was the halfway point. And we were met by the mayor and all these lovely things because we had just swam halfway around Ireland. And we, at that point, we had just given in. I mean, who spends 18 hours a day on ribs, being in and out of the water for six to 10 hours or six to four to six hours every day, and then decides to go and wash their hair? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> so after three or four or five nights, your, your hair is matted and you're shoving it in and out of a swim hat and then a, your skin is salt. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror thinking, oh, my God, I look phenomenal because that's what I'm supposed to look like. I've been exposed to the wrath of the sea. I should look crazy. And I was so proud of that look until I presented myself to these amazing looking people. And I think, oh, my God, I look psychiatric. (laughs) It was just the fact that I looked crazy. Mm. So, yeah, like all of those things about facing your reflection and knowing I think there were times in, in those years I looked sad, you know, I looked in the mirror, I looked in the mirror and it was like the, the life wasn't there, the pride wasn't there, the excitement wasn't there, um, the adrenaline wasn't there. And it was, you know, sometimes the world has started moving at a pace that I couldn't keep up. Cause, I mean, I was 15, 16 years at this thing and then there mm. wasn't any recognition. And I couldn't find that recognition. I couldn't find the value. Like I spent an insurmountable amount of money, massive amount of money. Um, I didn't have sponsors. Like my last swim was eighteen thousand dollars, and I cycled for two years to pay my bills. So you know, when you look at that, you have to come home and you have to reconcile that expression. You have to look in the mirror and see, right? Okay, this is the cost of my dreams. Um, So yeah. I, I drifted back and I thought, yeah. And then, unfortunately, um, my sister passed away suddenly. And I mm. kind of decided, no, I, you know, Mary's biggest thing was to own your swagger. You know, to step in the room, just be who you want to be. You know, it doesn't matter if you're going to wash dishes or you're going to be the CEO of a company, be the best. You know, never present less than 100%. And I just, I felt I was letting myself down. I felt that I wasn't 100%. So, yeah, back to the drawing boards. Get the pen and paper out. Be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. No, I'm just saying that I worked really hard over the last few years to be appreciative of who I was 
to be able to do what I did and balance everything. And that's the beauty of coming home and putting on the kettle. Lovely. And you know what, Neela, I think that could be your next book is the Nula Mantras. I'm <laughs> scribbling away like mad here. I love them. And I also love your sisters own your swagger. You have to be free to succeed. Yeah, Amazing. Succeed. They're going up yeah. on the wall. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. But if you think about it, like you do have to be free to succeed. Like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would say to me over and again, you know, you know that they wished they could do what I want, what I did, but they can't. They can't give up the sacrifices. Okay. You know, if you have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it doesn't always tally. And I know so many people who could have been me, but they were un unable to sacrifice what I sacrificed. And there are so many people that I know I could be as good as, but I'm unable to give up everything that I need to to be them. So, you know, I think when we look at people and we appreciate like what they do and what they achieve, we also have to understand that for us, it's not possible, not because we're not able, it's because we don't have leeway in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and if we did have more leeway, you know what, maybe we would all be like doing everything like exponentially. So we have to be able to, I suppose I always say to people, you know, to be us, it's not that we are phenomenal, but we have to be phenomenal. And we have to give ourselves so much kudos for achieving what we do with who we are, because that's the thing, you know, isn't it? We all balance. We all have tectonic plates that are shifting. So beautiful. Another lovely image. We are all phenomenal. I've got that image lined up with you coming out of the water after... How many days well, swimming around Ireland? Oodles. Yeah. <laughs> like this, the sea goddess. Oh, no. We had, in the storms and around Ireland, they had this joke, bring up the girls. You know, whenever things went crazy, it was bring up the girls. <laughs> just throw them in for another hour, you know. Amazing. And on that note, unfortunately, our time is ticking. But what would your wish be for women in the water? You know, I think the most important thing is to be present. And I know that is such an over-egged statement. But over the years, I used to go to the sea purely to breathe. Because when you go into the cold, you know, you bring in so much with you. But if you listen to the sound, just listen to the silence, just breathe and be present. And I remember, like, the minute you put your face in the water, you have this mammalian diving reflex just enjoy the moment. For everybody, we are such, I think we bring so much clutter into our lives. And that's, I mean, we it's part of our lives. But when you go into the sea, just understand the magnitude of it. You are tiny. You are nothing in its process, but you have a privilege to be there. And, you know, if I, one thing I can always say to people is like, we're all passengers in time. And the strength of the waves is in their perseverance. So you just keep moving and keep breathing. Oh, lovely. You. Such a lovely image. So visceral. Nula, where can people find your book, find more about you, connect with you? Yeah. Um, well, it's the book title is Limitless and it is for sale in 
it's it's guild publishing so it's in all bookshops or should be um i'm pretty much easy accessible i'm on instagram and i'm useless on all social media platforms but i promise to get there um and yeah you know what i'm trotting around i'm hopefully going to be in Kinsale in april at some point Oh, but do you watch for that? Yeah. Yes. And yeah, I'm hoping to get around and do more talks. Brilliant. So, yeah. Brilliant. Let us Thank know you when you come to Cork. Yes, because people need to hear these beautiful, valuable lessons that well, you have to offer. Know, yeah, on the 6th of uh, March, I am in the, I think it's the Clayton Hotel with um Ireland Network Cork Group. Oh, and yeah. that's a free event. Yeah, it's a free event. Network is that with Network Ireland? Yes, and it's a free Amazing. event. Okay. And it's, uh, yeah, and it is it's just after being put up with the, the Cork Enterprise Board, I think. Okay, uh, great. Yeah, we'll be in so, we'll be in the front row. Yeah, but that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I'm off to Waterford this weekend and looking forward to I just love talking as you hear, ladies. Living the and it's lovely <laughs> to hear you. Nula, yeah. thank, thank, you you. thank you so much for your time. And watch this Nula space. The world needs more Nula. Oh, thank ma'am. you so, you're, so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank we'll you. Soon. Thank you so back. much, Nula. That was inspiring to hear your description of sitting underwater and just hearing the bubbles to find your balance. And owning your swagger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To walk with that. Yeah. Hips. Move those hips. Yeah, you're swaggering away there, Suze. You <laughs> are owning it, dude. Why not? And I also love the idea that we are designed to be brilliant. Mm. And we have to be phenomenal. No phenomenal. pressure. Put on the kettle there, Sinead. Be <laughs> phenomenal there and put on the kettle. No, in everything. In everything we do. Totally. Mm. Totally. So guys, that's a lot to digest. So Nula's requested a song for her playlist and it's Hope by Shaggy. So get your swagger on as you, um, yeah, have a little dance. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah. So long ago, we had a one-room shack and the living was low. And my mama by herself raised me and my bro. Wasn't easy, but we did it with a little bit of Worked hard, got us up to school every day. And kept our eyes on the stars till the skies were great. Gave us drive to survive, really showed us the way. Now I really understood what she was trying to say. She's the sun, there the times, and the tides are high. I'm the bold, baby, rocky, you can cry. Just never give up. Never, never give up. Life you can lead if you only believe And in order to achieve what you need You can never give up Sometimes if this is meant to be All this for a humble little guy like me And all I ever really wanted was a family To teach 
wish my kids the same valley that she gave to me. Just a song that the time from the tides are high on the boat. Maybe Rocky, you could cry, just never give up. You can never give up. In this life, you can lead if you only believe. And in order to achieve what you need, you can never give up. You can never give up. Make yourself be overcome by the pressure Cool ya me brother, have faith instead of Sit down and I watch and all I fight on a dead Please like fire, we now go retire God now sleep and I am a inspire We have a real fire, and that thing require We have to make a map before the time is We are more than thrilled and delighted <laughs> to welcome Eski Britton to Reraw Manon. Oh, thanks, Eski. Welcome and thank you for being here. So, Eski, I'd love to give you an intro in the words of my 15 year old niece, Shiob, who's an awesome surfer. And you were the main subject of her English project, and she got an A. Yay, go on, Shogi. <laughs> so. <laughs> Eski Britton <laughs> is a surfer, the first woman to surf the big waves off the cliffs of Moher, a scientist, a social scientist, a feminist, and so much more. <laughs> um, you come from a surfing family and you were nominated for 2011 Big Surf Awards. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome, Eski. I'm sure there's so much more um, that you well, do. Yeah, the surfing synopsis, anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very short and sweet. <laughs> and I know Eski that you're working on so many projects. Um, what are you working on now, Eski? Would you like to tell us? Uh, being a mum. Oh, full time job that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we both know that. Uh, what age your yeah. What age are your kids? Or what age are your kids? They're nearly two. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So there's there's that. Um, that's been a profound initiation process. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a... craved challenge and adventure throughout my life story, but that's probably been the ultimate one. <laughs> and even when I compare, like, to big wave surfing, and I, it's something I wrote a lot about. It was my first book, uh, Saltwater in the Blood. Is that very much all the you know lessons learned from a, a lifetime immersed in the ocean, um, and particular big wave surfing. And that being the kind of, you know, ultimate place to sort of go and, uh, I guess, meet myself, as it were. Nice. <laughs> Face my demons and my fears. But yeah, did nothing compares to like riding 20 or 30 foot waves out at Mullock Moor, comparing that to nothing compares to like motherhood and birthing <laughs> and birthing yourself as a mother. And so, I, yeah, I get so much adrenaline from that now. I don't feel like I need to seek huge, crazy waves anymore. <laughs> I hear <laughs> you. The sea, the sea is my therapy. I needed to soothe my frayed nervous system, um, yes. which is also what I've been as a, I work also as a research scientist looking at the um, that are 
everything I do looks at this human relationship we have with water in particular and its healing powers on us mm. and how you might restore some of those kind of lost connections, which is a big theme in my my newest book, Ebb and Flow. But um, I spent a long time in academia um, as well in the area of blue health, mm-hmm. um, which is this kind of emerging discipline that looks at, you know, there's we have kind of green health looking at that nature connection. It's very land based, you know, and people are probably becoming more familiar with things like, you know, forest bathing and the benefits even of gardening and those kinds of activities. But also now looking at um, blue health, looking at the impact of water on our on our well-being, on our psyche, our moods, our minds and, and mental health in particular. And that's something I think a lot of us kind of discovered or rediscovered, especially during the pandemic when we were cut off from so much, especially that sensory world, the world of touch, (laughs) the need to connect. Um, So there's, yeah, and that's a common thread throughout my work is really realizing this um, longing we have as a human species for that kind of immersion and reconnection with with nature, our bodies and each other. Yeah, you're so right. And I'm so glad that you're flying the flag and committing your research and your energy into blue spaces. Because like you say, we have, thankfully, we've got a lot of research now into green spaces, but blue spaces hold so much as well. So I live by the sea and over the lockdown, I started to swim every day. Uh and I'm still swimming with my I call them my swim crutches especially now on these cold days you need Mm. somebody else to hop in and howl a bit with you in the water as you're there in your talks absolutely it's the best (laughs) place to howl yes I know because our local beach (laughs) our local beach is called How Strand and we're called the How Howlers and I think it suits us we do more howling than swimming but it's Mm. really transformative just that immersion Mm. in the water so it's so exciting that we've got researchers like yourself bringing that to the fore. So not only are you doing a lot of work around blue spaces here in Ireland, but I know you are part of a phenomenal project in, in Iran, Iran, is it? Yes. Yeah, which is fascinating because it's been, it was so unexpected how it came about. And then it's also, it just keeps kind of evolving and growing. It has a whole life of its own now for over a, a, the last decade. It's been this interesting um, story that's emerged from a place like Iran. And essentially, yeah, it, it's how I ended up getting involved in the initiation of the sport in, in that part of the world. And it being something that was pioneered by women, by other Iranian sportswomen. Um, so now it's led itself to the establishment of surfing as a sport nationally in the country pursued you know it's a mixed sport men and women do it boys and girls and and where it happens it primarily is the southeastern region of Iran which if, if you've ever been to Iran it's the the remote one of the remotest parts you can go next to the border of Pakistan um you know I remember when I first went it was in 2010 and everyone thought we were crazy that we'd go there as tourists because even Iranians didn't go there <laughs> to visit <laughs> So the region is Baluchistan. Um, so it's very uh, interesting culturally as well. Um, ethnic Baluch people with their own language and um, culture, mm. and but also um, tends to be more conservative, isolated, uh, excluded as well from a lot of the access to, um, you know, social supports and and economically and everything else so you know high levels of poverty and high dependency on kind of subsistence fishing and uh so yeah when when they first saw surfing i guess they thought it was mad but it just turned a lot of stereotypes on its head because the fact that we're showing up 
myself and a French filmmaker, Marion Poiseau, we first went um, and documented it in 2010. We went back then in 2013, which is the real kind of catalyst for change, because that's when we fill in the documentary Into the Sea. And we're joined by Mona, um, Mona Siraji and Shala Yassini were the kind of the first to kind of get on board. And Mona was a pro snowboarder, Shala was a, a, a swimmer and a diver, so trailblazers already in their own right. And so, yeah, and it, I think it was the fact that, you know, we, we surfed and we were covered in this really remote beach. And it was for many, I think for everyone there, the first time they'd seen surfing uh, and the first time they see it are, are women surfing. And I write about this in my book, Saltwater and Blood, of that kind of initial moment of a boy on the beach coming up to me and asking, hey, is this something boys can do too? Because um, you just saw women and girls doing this. <laughs> so then we got nice. to, we got connected with a local family in the village uh, who really got on board with it. And they've established the first surf club there. And they're now running surf camps for kids. And uh, there's a skateboard club that's just been founded um, with the support of uh, primarily also like with, with of other Iranian, again, sportswomen. So this pro skateboarder from Tehran has come and initiated these workshops. And so it's just become a, it's taken on a life of its own. And it's wonderful to see, um, yeah, that happen. Baluchistan, is what's the name of the, the area? Baluchistan? Baluchistan? Chabahar is the nearest city. Baluchistan is the province. Baluchistan. And it, it's actually, um, you know, in colonial times, it was one of those areas that got carved up. So it, it crosses uh, Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan. So they share that, the shared ethnicity of that region. Great. Um, fascinating. Yeah. Sounds great. But what was interesting for us was for me, it was to go to a place too and then, you know, there are women and girls wanting to experience this, you know, surfing and being in the water, but sometimes they've just never even been in the, in the water before or immersed in a body of water. You know, it's a desert region. Water is a luxury. And then getting even to the beach then is, uh, can be a huge barrier even. Okay. And so we started to run over the following, you know, subsequent years, myself and Shireen Garami, Iran's first female uh, triathlete, these workshops we, that we called uh, Be Like Water. Mm -hmm. be like water program which was really a way to realize needing to go back to that kind of beginner's mindset of what is this all about connecting with our bodies and breath and building that trust and confidence in our okay. bodies again in water and with the water and then transferring that into, into the ocean so that's how where it became really empowering and it wasn't really about the surfing at all it was just about creating this connection um and this kind of shared a language without words in a way through this experience with everyone across so many differences that we had but in the end it was yeah it was just incredible how you could see these these boundaries sort of crumble um, amazing like in in a region that have very rigid boundaries i guess and beliefs on one yeah. hand about what it is to be a woman or in sports or outside or at the beach or in the water amazing to be exactly and it just it speaks to that which is so pervasive across the world and all cultures about this uh how all of us feel so uncomfortable about in our bodies a lot of the time of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to behave these expectations and then especially in western society the mm. suppression of any kind of feelings or giving those 
feelings, bodily expressions. Um, and even as a, as a woman, like the suppression that I experienced, it, it seems, thank goodness, to be shifting a little now. But when it comes to that cyclical nature of our bodies and having a menstrual cycle and being a woman in, you know, a high performance sport yes. or, or a, young, a young girl and a young woman, really. Um, and that just being something that was seen as a, a disadvantage, mm. primarily something yes. to be overcome. <laughs> Yeah, rather than crazy. a superpower but yeah yeah you're so right actually um last year i was in canada and i went to an awesome banff extreme film festival and they brought it was all women in extreme sport and that was the underlying message they were like we need to talk about menstruation we need okay. to bring it central to coaching training mindset of women Instead of yeah. really sweeping it under the carpet, pretending it doesn't happen, trying to make it not happen, it's like it's happening. Yeah. yeah okay. And how do we work with it? To factor it in. Yeah. Mm. You know, big mm. time. Even like you know, was it the so one of the World Cup female soccer teams? They really rallied to change the shorts oh, from yeah. white to, to a dark color, so that you're more comfortable if you're on your moon time and you're playing a World Cup soccer match. Yeah. And that's just so basic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we need yeah. to have these conversations. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah, 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 and just traveling a lot and, and yeah, being you know, in remote locations and yeah, all of that. But it's it's amazing now because I think also through something like surfing, I've had this attunement to nature cycles all along. I've grown up with an awareness of the seasonal shifts and the different kinds of weather patterns that brings you know you're very attuned to that as a surfer and then living here in the west coast in Donegal with you know being so keenly aware of the tides and the moon and that all having an influence on what I love to do but then I just hadn't really made the link to my uh, my own body this the, these cycles <laughs> are moving through all of us uh, all species on the planet but in particular the, you know the female body and the menstruating body and um, and so that's something I began to unpack and explore in a short film called a lunar cycle came out in 2018 and won, won the Irish Best Short Irish Surf Film Festival, which I was thrilled about because the whole Great. aim was look at it through um, uh, the experience of surfing through a feminine lens of what that was like um, and following, you know, throughout a lunar cycle, the different energies um, I brought into the ocean and that the, I, I t was able to tap into depending on where I was in the ebb and flow of my own cycle. Um, so, yeah, so the, it's not that, you know, and I find it really fascinating. So, you know, the more you kind of observe these patterns both in nature but also in our own bodies the more embodied we can be i suppose it's the lesson i've been learning again and again yes yeah. noticing that it is all connected and interconnected um but realizing yeah there's there's just a certain kind of qualities or energies for me it's probably unique to each of us that i can tap into then so there's days then when um, I'm just i need much more movement and i'm kind of roaming around in, in the ocean in the lineup kind of almost hunting down waves <laughs> mm -hmm. and I have that desire to go really fast and um, move my body or you know, energy is high yeah energy is high and energy is low within your cycle we were just talking about this exactly earlier. but that doesn't necessarily mean I might surf my best I might just be like too frantic and all over mm -hmm. the place yeah I hear you or is when I'm closer to my bleed or moon time, actually just that stillness comes in, you know, if I allow it <laughs> yeah. and I trust it. And then I actually find those greater moments of flow happen and just actually letting the waves come to me. Mm, so that's lovely. Feminine energy rather than my masculine approach of trying to 
catch all I can, you know, mm. chasing after them. Yes, it's so <laughs> lovely. I find to... that interesting to observe. Just, yeah, you know. Ian and we were yeah. actually just speaking Talk about this this early. morning, myself and Sue, like noticing it. Yeah, the times of the month where maybe we have a bit more energy or a bit more push and drive to mm. go and get and make those difficult calls or those, you know, send that tough email or face that really challenging decision. And then there's other times where you actually just rest. Yeah. yeah, like you say, you let the things come to you. But we are unfortunately still designed as like the world is such a patriarchal system. Yeah. So I think the more and more we speak about this ebb and flow of our lunar cycle and our internal rhythm and start to design and create our work and our life around it, mm. you know, the, the more we're going to call it out. Yeah. And embrace it. it. And, em- and embrace it. Mm. Yeah. Have you come across Kitty Maguire? She's a, I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's great. Powerful. She is a, yeah, a powerful woman and I just love her her way of being in the world and the work that she brings to the world. Exactly around that um, ebb and flow. And even what you said earlier, Iski, about you know, when we are connected to our own internal rhythms, the nature of our body, we then in turn naturally become more connected to the nature around us. So back to what you were saying about blue spaces, the more mm. we connect with our internal landscape and our internal space, the more awareness we then have to bring that out to the spaces around us and vice versa. The more we connect with blue spaces, the more we connect inwards, really, isn't it? So tell us a little bit about the blue space world. So it, mm. as you're saying, like blue space, blue health, it's growing how in Ireland can we enhance our connection to blue spaces and blue health? Yeah, well, I think we should yeah take a step back for a moment, assuming everyone understands here yeah, these mm. kind of the terminology. Essentially, yes. it just means like with blue health in particular is just looking at the physical or mental health benefits of being in, on, near, around water. So you don't mm. even have to be in it. But that effect it has, especially psychologically and altering our, you know, the, I suppose the science emerging around it is fascinating, too. But it's also that indigenous understanding of water as sacred and the source of mm. our vitality has been present for millennia um, and is so strong in our own mythology. And so to answer the question, I think in Ireland, it's those uh, place connections actually really matter, especially when the story of the world at the moment, when you look in particular at water environments and the ocean, it can be so overwhelming, um, the, the trouble they're in. Yeah. <laughs> the state of the planet is in these mul- multiple crises that we're facing that are all connected, the wars, the conflicts, the climate, the ocean, um, is is down to this dominance of this story of separation of ourselves as separate from from the earth, from the earth. And, and not interwoven with it and through it and not seeing ourselves as part of it or being able to feel that. So for me, the starting point is coming back into that that feeling and sensing and of local place connections, like building back that intimacy of even just um, and it's something I feel very strongly about. And it's a core message in, in Ebb and Flow. My new book is about that exploration of how do we create if if the issue is this this separation how do we restore a relationship that's built on reciprocity so understanding that kind of mutuality of course the benefit of of um immersing ourselves or going swimming or whatever it may be for us but that there's an exchange happening all the time so um 
yeah, what are, what are we doing for our water? Yeah. But it, it starts with, with like any relationship of first trying to get to know your water and how it's doing and just be bringing, expanding your awareness all the time. And water lends itself so well uh, to our healing and become, coming back into our bodies because it's so multisensory. It's much easier to be fully present mm. when we're in our bodies and not our heads. And there's nothing like when you jump into cold water mm, yeah. <laughs> to bring you into the now, you know, like the, the even the, just the shock of it will jolt you out of whatever you're been ruminating on in your head. Yeah. <laughs> For better or worse. Well, um, yeah. And then that feeling of aliveness, you know, it's you, really, yeah. you can't not but become aware of the animacy of the earth, that the earth is alive, the water is alive. Like once you immerse yourself in in a body of water, especially in Ireland. Yeah. And then you also be start to, the more you expose yourself or have these encounters, the more you develop an awareness for the health of the water as well. And you begin then to see how those two are so connected, our own health and the health of water. What you made me think about there was uh, I'm looking forward to camping on the beach soon. Um, mm. So you're there overnight, you got the stars and the fire. So there's a lot going on, very visceral and to really feel where you are grounded. And then with that comes power in a way. Totally. I think being by water, what it does for me, it, is, it slows me down. Mm. So I, for some mm. reason, I'm just running through this life. Uh, I'm like a hamster on a hamster wheel. And any time I'm by a water body, it's like, ah, oh, slow down. Mm. Like, and then mm. when you slow down, you really taste the beauty and the presence of what's around you, even if you're freezing your toesies off, like mm. what I was yesterday. But you're feeling it. Yeah. And you're very aware that you're there. So it's nearly like a Zen practice, you know, coming into the water or being by the sea. It brings me home to myself. Um, so yeah. it is really lovely. And I'm so blessed to live by so many beautiful beaches. And you're right, that reciprocity. Like, how do I return in gratitude all that the sea gives to me, to mm. the sea? So do you have any ideas for our listeners, perhaps, if they're looking for, uh, for that dual way to engage with the sea and, you know, and, and have some service? To, to our water bodies, be it rivers, seas. Are you still there, Are we losing the northwest of our yeah, internet sorry, connection? Video, I'm going to stop mine too. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, we're back. Close down a few things. Okay, yeah, no, I think maybe that's, is that okay now? Perfect, perfect. Do you want me to repeat the question? Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying that I love that idea of reciprocity, hard words to say, I'm really making an effort to get out. Uh, when we are by bodies of water, be it the sea or the river um, or lakes, do you have any ideas for our listeners, perhaps, about how they can engage in that dual giving back? Because it does give us so much. Yeah, I I think it's oh, there are so many ways you'd actually mm -hmm. kind of I suppose take action but I'm also really interested in that spacer phase before we move into action you know everything mm -hmm. is is about trying to like drive and push and mm -hmm. um lean to you know save your mode but then we we I think we're kind of <laughs> not able to then um I, I think if we're not able to first listen 
to what's really being asked of us or what's really being called for in this time and we're trying to jump into solution mode or action mode too quick then we we just kind of approach it with the same mindset that created the whole mess in the first place (laughs) from a place of disconnect if that makes sense so I think for me the first step is always how do we um just deepen that ability to listen and how do Mm. we approach when we you know we have it's beautiful to have this connection through our love of surfing in the outdoors or swimming or whatever it may be but how do you go beyond the pleasure seeking kind of more goal-oriented perhaps ultimately extractive relationship with place sometimes when we just Mm. go and even if it's for our own enjoyment and recreation we feel good afterwards like that's great but Mm. you know (laughs) We're still kind of just in a way consuming blue spaces. So how do we then shift into it being this sort of um, an act of reverence of um, um, and I've interviewed different maybe in particular water protectors um, in my book Ebb and Flow. They speak of it as um, like Pat McCabe in particular. Dina in Navajo Nation talks about it as a form of empathic prayer. Um, Or Lakota Skier O'Connor Ryan, which is basically this deep listening um and how one way to cultivate that is again through these personal relationships that we have with these places uh, and if you okay. you just talked about as well if that's slowing down <laughs> is key mm, yes. um so just taking that moment to pause and notice observe listen um so that we begin to recognize the patterns that nature keeps presenting to us um and and then we're better able to because we're more attuned better able to respond to what the actual need is um and we're able to, in a way, it's almost this process of bearing witness, which is really uncomfortable place to be in and a hard thing to do right now when we're also, when we are really, really connected, when we really care for and love a place, and then you're wit- witnessing it falling apart before your eyes. It, You have to feel into that heartache, I, I believe, as well, um, which is something that we also try to dismiss. <laughs> Mm. or ignore or suppress you know the heartache of all mm. we've lost and stand to lose but I, I really feel then that's at those times of heartbreak that our our love and devotion matters most you know mm. allowing actually our hearts to break open creating space that we then need to dream even a new and better world um yeah, I, but I was really struck um, by work recently by um, Gargi Bhattacharya. He had a book came out last year called We the Heartbroken mm-hmm. um, and how it's really ne- like that dreaming a new world, that need to have that vision carries a reckoning with heartbreak mm-hmm. <laughs> because of all the change we're going through. Um, so for me, that's just what's really alive in me right now. Yes. Um, thank you Thanks. for sharing that. That is beautiful. That's You're beautiful. so right. It's I true. was jumping to solution space. Mm. And it is that slowing down and listening, listening and letting, yeah, just not even knowing what the letting bit is going to be, yeah. but just start there. Okay. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. yeah, and of course then it's it's moving always when it is about solutions, moving from the I to the we, you know, a lot of what gets thrown at us, especially in this climate um in response to the climate crisis and the environmental and biodiversity crisis it's it's a very it tends to get individualized (laughs) it's too much that if you take you know it's it's down to you reducing your quote-unquote carbon footprint um and putting it back on 
the in, you know an individual but it's not it's a collective thing um yeah. and it's systemic change that's needed so it's that yes. shift into we so it's yes. finding these communities and yes. active groups and collectives that are really working with the land and with water creating the change at the grassroots level yes. and then also lobbying the, at the highest level so i think you have one really inspiring example in ireland is the fair seas campaign yeah um, putting pressure on the top of the government level to protect our oceans, but also really engaging in the stories of local coastal communities and what matters most to each of us yes. um, reconnecting. So that's a beautiful example that marries, that yeah. shifts from the I to the we, and then starts to tap into the importance of our cultural connection as well as environmental and, mm -hmm. and the power of coming together. Um, they brought out a always, movie. Lately, it's always what the oppressors will fear the most is, is that we might unite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the totally oppression true. that are at play, and that's what's causing the you know the havoc with um, our planet and the conflict and the war and the horrors we're seeing unfold before our eyes in Gaza. Like for me, this is all connected because everything is hitched to everything else. Yes. So you know, as a, an ecologist, I, I, and that's what I've learned and i'm i'm taught but we it, it, this this knowledge lives in us it's something that um is in our bones this ancient connection that we all share that we're not separate <laughs> from each other yeah. that we're all part of this living earth and iski that Thanks, is Iski. a beautiful message uh, to bring us to the close of our interview yeah. unfortunately mm -hmm. we're gonna have to call it a day but it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure thank you iski. to speak with you yeah, and thanks. to hear your deep wisdom um from a life spent in the sea so thank you so much iski where can people find out more about you and tell us again the name of your two books yeah um my yeah my latest two books are salt water in the blood and ebb and flow and you can find out everything about them and, and what we've been talking about on my website eastkeybritain.com or uh instagram at eastkey surf oh thank you lovely eastkey it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life yeah and good luck doing one up. of the most extreme Likewise. things being a <laughs> thank mom you. <laughs> <laughs> thank Thanks you so eastkey Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. What a beautiful chat. What a beautiful woman. Such inspiring, lovely messages. And you know what? Speaking with Iski really reminded me of the work that Elaine Moynan and Katie McShane Wise Water. are doing with Wise Water. Oh, yeah. It is that connection to, the water. to local water bodies and to communities and reminding us and building that place of connection. Absolutely. Oh, that was great. I can't believe we're nearly over again. Another reroll episode. We'll be back next we'll be week back. with more. <laughs> Have a lovely weekend, everyone. So maybe go to the beach. Go to the beach or find some local water body. Get your toes in the water. Yeah, jump in. It might freeze. Yeah, <laughs> there's a cold breeze there it. now today, but it's it'll be worth, worth it. it. You never regret it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And we are going to sign off with a beautiful song, Song of the Sea Lisa Hannigan. by Lisa Hannigan. Between the hill, between the Between the north, between the south, between
Between.